0: So how has John Lynch been able to build a Super Bowl team in three years when the Bucks haven't made the playoffs in the last 12? And how would you rate Bruce Arians' first season as the Bucks' head coach? Why should someone continue to devote time and money to baseball when the results have been so fraudulent? And what will Charlie Morton have to say about the Astros' cheating scandal? We've got all your mailbag questions answered 100% correctly on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times- along with producer Steve Versnick. Hey, before we get to some of your questions, which uh, look like they're, they're pretty good ones tonight, uh, let's talk about the uh, Baseball Hall of Fame. If you listened to the podcast yesterday, Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times uh, revealed his ballot for the Hall of Fame and his predictions, and he got it right in the sense that uh, there were at least two of the guys that he voted for and only two, as it turns out, to be named to the uh, Baseball Hall of Fame. Derek Jeter Of course, got in elected to in his first year on the ballot, and here get this—he was one vote, just one vote shy of it being unanimous. Does that mean? Does that
1: mean Mo Rivera is now the greatest Yankee of all time, since he's the only (laughs) one to be unanimous in the Baseball Hall of Fame?
0: Yeah, uh, greatest—not just Yankee, maybe baseball player of all time himself. But I mean, can you? Somebody asked, uh, are they going to find this guy, or is this guy? Did he do it? You know, whoever he or she was that. Um, you know, wanted to be known forever in a day as the person who did not make uh, Derek Jeter a unanimous choice. My guess is that's not the case. But if that individual's identity is revealed, God help him or her for the rest of their lives, because the entire state of New York and most of New England is going to be coming after you. Um. So I hope, I hope, it, you know, that that person remains anonymous. I don't understand.
1: I don't understand the mentality of. People say he's not a first ballot. He's a Hall of Famer, but not a first ballot Hall. You're either a Hall of Famer or you're not. I mean, the, mm. the the one where it can be a little tricky is the NFL because they limit you to five. There's right. only five that go in. So right. there may be. I don't know if it's the first ballot, but you may you know this guy deserves it more than this, and that's the only one spot I have left on my ballot this year based on whoever I have left. Yeah. Baseball, you get yeah. to vote for ten which mm-hmm. in the last few years there's I would have voted for more than 10, to be honest, on some years based on who yeah. was on the ballot. But yeah, you know, I don't get this where a first ballot Hall of Famer, not a first ballot. I mean, is there someone really that believes Derek Jeter isn't a Hall of Famer?
0: There's one guy that that felt – I don't think they felt that he wasn't a Hall of Famer, but he didn't think he should be on the first ballot. The first ballot thing is, is bizarre. In football, I'll tell you that it is sort of – Of the greats, right, and they're all legends in the Hall of Fame, there is sort of a certain piece of real estate reserved for first ballot players. I can't explain really the mentality of that, except that you kind of know if a guy's first ballot or not. If I say to you, Brett Favre, oh, yeah, Hall of Famer, right? Um, If there is a player that you think is a Hall of Famer, but you even have to hesitate for a second, chances are he's not a first ballot guy. Right, If there's some debate about, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I think so, but um, then, you know, and and obviously a lot of it has to do with who else is in the class, right? Who else are you voting for? Um, you could be like, okay, here's an example. There's no way, in my opinion, Jason Taylor was a first ballot Hall of Fame player. Is he a Hall of Fame player? Yeah. Should he have gone in the year he did? Probably not. But there were some split votes going on with that class, and it turns out I think that was a class Tony Dungy got in, and sort of unexpectedly, Jason Taylor made it through in his first try. So I can't explain it. I know the guys that get in on the first ballot; they they they're very revered. They they think it's very important to them because they're all competitive individuals anyway. Um, but for Warren Sapp, for Derek Brooks, that was really important to them. And you know, of the three hundred something guys in the um, you know the Pro Football Hall of Fame, you know, it's it's a it's a special class of, of people who win it on the first ballot, but yeah, in so much as you know, does it matter that Derek Jeter, you know, was a first? I mean, I, I don't know how you can't vote for Derek Jeter. So it seems to me you should vote for him the first time. I mean, he's one of those. It's it's a no brainer. So I I I can't imagine the person that said, "No, nah, you know what? I'm not voting for him this year."
1: Yeah, I just I just think it's. Like I said, it's just one of those, you know, look, I mean, the question at the top of the ballot, and I don't have it r- verbatim, but it's who do you think should be in the Hall of Fame?
0: It's not right. who's, box. Who do you think yeah. should
1: be in on their first year or this year? or This it's, year, it's, right. You know, right. It, you're a Hall of Famer or you're not. Now. In football in, base- certain- in baseball, baseball, in baseball, you know, you're limited to ten votes. So if you think there's twelve, you've got to pick which ten yeah. you're going to pick.
0: And and not everybody can agree, I guess. But like, sure. uh, since the ballots are all different, if you know, in baseball, the requirement is seventy five percent of the ballots. So there may be seventy four percent of the people agree that you're a hall of famer the first time out. But there's maybe one percent, or in the case of Jeter, like you know, he was one vote shy of being unanimous. But so there's a percentage you have to achieve, and when you vote ten players, not everybody's going to agree on the same ten. You know? Well, oh so, no, I, I get the I, I, not
1: so, agreeing part. I just don't get the I'm not voting for him this mm-hmm. year because he shouldn't be a first ballot guy, but I'll vote for him next year. Yeah, that's people what people do. That though. I mean, if, if you're limited, if you think there's twelve and you can only vote for ten, okay, I, there's yeah. the limits of the ballot, and that's the rules. The NFL you can only put five in at a time. So I understand right. that. I just don't get the whole, you know, I'm not voting for him this year, but next year I will because it's a second year.
0: Yeah, they do that. And they, and they even at least in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, they even go one step further and say, you know, this guy he's he may not get in this year, but we got him penciled in 2 years from now. It's like, how do you, you know, who's in, who's the gatekeeper here? Like who decides that, you know, oh, he'll be in the class of 20, you know, 2026. Like what? You know, but there's actually guys who make study of this that are voters on the committee and they sort of, you know, try to convince other voters that this is the cue and this is how it should go. And, you know, um, that we got a log jam at offensive line. So we need to get some offensive linemen through. I mean, actually, those are the discussions that, that go on uh, in and outside of that room. So we'll talk about the the fo- pro football, Hall of fame. not that as familiar with the baseball Hall of Fame. Um, but larry walker i don 't know if you saw earlier in the day. He tweeted out that well, it looks like i 'm not going to make it folks. I just want to thank everybody that voted for me. <laughs> what was that some some uh, uh, uh self protection there I mean what was going on there
1: yeah I, yeah i don't know if it's just the you know just preparing myself for the worst news because this was his last year on the ballot if if yeah. he didn 't make it in this year, then he has to wait for the and I forget what they call it now. It used to be the old timers committee and the whatever Seniors else committee or whatever. Now yeah. it's like the game of tomorrow committee or yesterday. Or I, I don't know who knows, but yeah. he was going to have to wait a couple of years to get on that ballot. Like Harold Baines did, which is why we think Fred McGriff will, if, if Harold Baines made it, Fred McGriff should make that committee. No problem. But, uh, um, right. You know, I don't know if it's just either that or, you know, some people told him or played a practical joke on him. Who knows? But
0: yeah, yeah. Maybe, he maybe he was led to believe that. Um, when you know the guys who didn't get in it didn't really they didn't really move the ball very much or kick the can down the road whatever you, uh, cliche you want to use but Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens did not gain very much i think about a about a percentage and a half each they're um, at about 60%
1: that. just over 60% they've got 2 years remaining right. on the ballot so next year and the year after is their last two chances mm-hmm. before they go to the you know the
0: whatever committee.
1: committee but yeah so right. You know, can they make up 14%, 15% in two seasons? Mm, maybe. Uh, unless, you know, unless uh, I, I don't see it, unless some voters are just saying, you know what, I'm going to put him in, but I'm going to make him wait as long as possible, and so I'm going to wait to the last be. year to vote and, and finally put him in. You know, kind of like Larry Walker kept building up steam, building up steam and mm-hmm. just made it this year, although he was a little closer mm-hmm. last year than where they're sitting. But, you know, maybe mm-hmm. some of those Not guys are so. saying, look, I'm going to punish Barry Bonds. And I'm gonna make him the wait the time. full ten years before he gets my vote. I don't
0: know. And that well, that could be because when I as I look at Larry Walker, back in two thousand seventeen, he was at twenty one point nine percent, and then um you know, his, his final push was a year ago. Um well this year he went from fifty four point six percent to seventy six point six. So he rose yeah. more than twenty something points yeah, in, that's a year, huge in his jump. last year. But it was his last season. I think that does matter. You know, you talked about why our guys first ballot. Well, how come they wait till the last ballot? <laughs> yeah. But um, rather than rather than have a committee deal with it, which is like, you know, a couple legacy guys, a couple players, a couple – you know, they, they have a, a certain committee that does it. Well, and Mark um, brought up but,
1: some good points on Larry Walker yesterday on the podcast about he gets kind of that rap of he played at Coors Field and so his numbers are mm-hmm. inflated. But if you really yeah. look at, at his stats and even some of the advanced metrics, it's not, you know, his performance was not just that at
0: all. Right, I mean, right.
1: you know, that he was a, you know, and Mark said, look, I didn't realize how good of a player he was. Mm. You know, you, you know he's a good player, but when you start really analyzing, and so maybe some voters the last couple of years are starting to realize that as the push was made and said, hey, you know, maybe I didn't give him enough credit or maybe mm-hmm. I was biased in, you know, he played in Colorado, so, uh, you know, I, I, how do I trust those numbers?
0: Right. No, I, I think that they they did just that and and rewarded him, um and 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 you know they probably wanted to control you know take matters in own hand. This is his last chance. I want to vote him as a Hall of Fame. Guy. He's a five tool player. There's no doubt about that. Um, I think the guy had like four or five seasons where he hit over three fifty. I think or maybe four seasons where he hit over three fifty. One batting titles, Gold Glove guy multiple times. Um. Uh, you know, could steal bases. I mean, he he really was a great player and and the one of the best Canadian players that ever lived. Obviously, so yeah, it's cool that uh, that he was sort of overwhelmed. And um, I don't know if you saw his reaction, but uh, earlier in the day, like I said, he didn't think he was going to make it. So another guy that's getting close is Kurt Schilling. Um, he's around seventy percent
1: or just there over.
0: Yeah, he's at seventy percent. He um, saw his he saw an increase from sixty point nine to seventy. So that's you know, that that's by comparison, that's, you know, higher than a lot of guys were in year eight, uh, higher than Walker, higher than, you know, Tim, uh, you know, Rains, I mean, higher than a lot of guys. So he's, he's made some big strides and, and like I said, we'll see what happens to bonds and Clemens and some of the steroid guys, but, uh, it'll be a celebration for Jeter for sure. And, um, sort of sad that, you know, just, just one idiot out there took it upon his, his or herself to. Uh, you know to keep Jeter from being unanimous, but look, he's. I was watching. I, you know, there's only. Uh, it's. I think other than pitchers, the the position in baseball has the most Hall of Famers is shortstop. There's like 25 of them, and um, you know, he's. Uh, they, they they sort of are the quarterbacks of the infield. You know, and there's there's some great ones. He grew up mm-hmm. sort of idolizing Barry Larkin, who went to Michigan and. You know, at that time, you know, Ozzy Smith was playing and Cal Ripken and a lot of guys that Jeter looked up to. Um, and then, of course, you know, he turned out to be one of the best shortstops uh, ever.
1: All right, we get to the mailbag now, Rick. And mm-hmm. uh, the last few days you've been talking about some of the Philip Rivers rumors where he has now mm-hmm. moved out of San Diego and moved to Florida. And and then now there's been reports of the Bucks having interest or at least talking, exploring some possibilities with Phillip Rivers at the Senior Bowl. So, Buck North asked, I've watched Philip Rivers throw INTs at the worst possible times on numerous occasions, including versus the Bucks. If it takes a veteran a year to learn Aryan's system, like Carson Palmer, then wouldn't Rivers struggle just like Winston did?
0: Well, yeah, it's possible you would. Um, you know, the thing about Rivers, and I checked into this, and, and look, I think before this is over, uh, unless you know, they come out in the next few weeks and say we're either franchising or signing James to a long term deal. I think they're gonna be linked with every potential free agent quarterback, right? Um a couple things about Rivers that I that just doesn't pass the test for me as I as I talk to people at one buck place and, and, and sort of get a feel for sort of what what the alternatives would be. Now now again, I don't think that they have made a decision um as a staff, as an organization, as an ownership, what what exactly they're going to do uh, with respect to Jameis, and until they make that decision, it doesn't really matter who's going to be a potential free agent. But of the guys that are potentially out there, and Rivers is one. The reason he doesn't make sense is that, first of all, at thirty eight, he would be the oldest quarterback the Bucks have ever had, ever. You know, older than DeBerg or Fitzpatrick or anybody. Um, so there's that. The second thing is, is that you know he's been prone to turnovers throughout his career. Now, you know, I think he's had three or four seasons where he had twenty or more touch uh, interceptions. He had um, twenty-three touchdowns and twenty interceptions last year. So he's not a thirty thirty guy. but He's a twenty twenty guy. Uh, and you know, but a year removed from that, two years ago, I think he had like you know thirty-five or thirty-three touchdowns and about eight or ten interceptions. So. Um, he hasn't always been bad with the football, but he's he's a slinger, he's a gunslinger a little bit. The only reason that Rivers would ever make sense would be if you're willing to, and I mean willing, willing to potentially take a big step back um, in terms of your quarterback play overall. Uh, not that he couldn't win games, not that he wouldn't benefit from Evans and Godwin and all the same tools, but that you know he may not be as dynamic and and he may also have turnover problems himself. But if you were going to draft a quarterback and say, we're going to groom a guy now, we're going to develop a guy either in the first or second round, but we don't want to play him right away, um, but we want him to sit behind a guy like Phillip Rivers and see how it's done, you could you could do that. You know you could decide to go that route. Like We don't think Winston's worth the money. We don't think he's going to develop into a Super Bowl quarterback. We want to move on, but the guy we're going to draft is not going to be quite ready to play, so let's get a bridge guy. But I don't think that guy is Rivers because I think – you know, Rivers wants to go somewhere, probably play a couple more years at least. Um, you know, and and um, and and not just mentor somebody. So, you know, he lit, this whole thing about him moving to Florida—it's Destin, Florida, which is not not exactly an Uber ride away from Tampa. Um, so there is that. So I just think a lot of people are, are you know adding you know one and one and getting two when when it really is three. And um, I, I just I don't. I don't think it's a great fit. At least with the people that I've talked to, a nothing has been decided, and b if you were going to look at that list of the free agent quarterbacks, I don't think he's at the top of it.
1: Well, Chris and Dunedin asked, do you think it's possible that they franchise Jameis Winston and bring in Philip Rivers as a backup, or would the total money be too much?
0: Yeah, I don't know what kind of money that that Philip would get, but I think it'd be I think it'd be too cost prohibitive because just franchising Jameis is twenty seven. Million dollars or so, okay, and that's a huge chunk of change. I mean, he was at 20 about 21 last year, 20.9 million. Um, that's going to go up. Um, yeah, yeah, they have like 90 92 million dollars or something under the salary cap. Um, but but Rivers is not going to play for free, right? He's not going to play for six or eight million dollars. Um, so you're talking about investing, you know, at minimum, uh, I don't know, some. 40 million dollars or 38 million dollars or whatever it is in those two quarterbacks you just can't afford to do that so first of all i think philip is is first and foremost going to try to find a place where he can start uh and secondly uh i just i just don't think that that would be a a good situation for jamis or for for rivers because i think they're both sort of alpha dogs and and uh would need their own you know their own team to lead and um yeah, I, I just don't see him in that position. I think it's more likely, if even if they keep Jameis, that they draft a quarterback. I think regardless, they're drafting a quarterback. And again, where that is, 14th overall pick, second round, third round, I don't know. Um, but they need to get a guy in here that it can develop at least into a a, a capable um, backup quarterback for Jameis or whoever is number one, or potentially develop into a number one guy himself. Um, but yeah, I... I think I think if they franchise him, it's very unlikely that they would get someone like a Philip Rivers to back up.
1: All right, Joseph says, I'm kind of okay with bringing back Jameis Winston if the price is right, if only to stop the quarterback carousel, and because I trust Bruce Arians. But how do Bucs fans justify his, their belief in a sixth year of Jameis Winston that he's going to change his stripes to the fan base if they bring him back?
0: I don't know how you would believe that. And, you know, You'd have to be convinced by Bruce. I guess what you have to believe in is Arians. Um, you have to believe that Arians is going to make the right decision. You have to believe that Arians knows what he has to do to to help Jameis reduce the turnovers. You have to believe that Arians understands that there's a big leap between year one and year two in terms of understanding the offense. That something similar that you know that happened in Arizona with Carson Palmer what happened for Jameis Winston between year one and year two. It's just belief is all it is. Um, there's no evidence that will it will change because it hasn't changed in five NFL seasons with three head coaches and, you know, a couple of different systems that he's been in. Um, and and if it hasn't changed by now, you know, the, again, there's, there's no evidence that it will. Um, but, you know, having said that, there are examples of other quarterbacks getting better, in the second year and so you know if you apply that to Jameis, um you know you could you could talk yourself into anything but it basically you have to put faith as the glazers will into what ba decides If ba says hey i know this guy's going to get better in this one area and there's going to be a huge change between year one and year two and we really got something here in winston then the ownership has has to go along with it and um, you know, it is hard to stop the carousel. I mean, he, but he's been here five years. You know, they haven't had a different quarterback. And carousel to me is having one every other season. That's what John Gruden did. Uh, this hasn't been a carousel. It's just been, you know, sort of a this just a sameness um, to what Jameis has done. And uh, you know, at some point, he, you know, like he said, if I stop that one thing, I'll be the best ever, bar none. Check your sheet. Well. You know that one thing is what's getting the bucks uh, beat, and what has them in a in a bad situation right now. So, um, I I I think you know that you're it's reasonable to think that they would franchise them, but again, twenty seven million dollars, nineteen free agents, a bunch of guys you want back on defense, all of that matters. And then, oh yeah, can you re-sign Shaq Barrett? And if you can't, do you need to use a franchise tag on him? So, there is a lot of moving parts to this thing right now.
1: Less asked. Rick, do you think people would be okay with bringing Jameis Winston back for $15 million? If so, isn't this more of a money thing than an INT thing?
0: Well, I mean, in some sense, I guess it is. But, uh, you know, (laughs) this is professional sports. So the value of a player is what you pay him. And, you know, first of all, Jameis would not accept $15 million because I'm sure he's convinced he can get – you know, a long-term deal at 25 or $30 million a season out there. Now, I'm having trouble identifying that team, but, th- but that's what he has to believe um, because of what he has accomplished, albeit the interceptions, over five years of playing in the NFL. I mean, he is by far not the worst quarterback in the NFL. Um, so I don't think he'd ever accept $15 million, but if if for the hypothetical he would – Then you would say, okay, well, here's our choices. We can take one more year with Winston with less financial investment, less risk. Um, We save, you know, six or seven from last year. We save, you know, maybe ten or eleven million dollars that we normally would have had to pay him under a franchise tag. We can use that money to re-sign JPP. We can use that money to do other things to make the football team better overall. Um, And Winston at fifteen million to me is more appealing than teddy bridgewater at 15 million you know which is what it would cost you you know that sort of thing so it's apples to apples i mean at the end of the day it is a business um your value is what what a team will pay you um so it it might make a difference it's also a fantasy because Jameis winston isn't playing in tampa for 15 million if he has to play for 15 million he'll hit free agency and realize there's no money for him and he'll go somewhere else and play for 15 million so it's a little bit of a moot point but I'm sure that the Bucks' goal, if they do decide to keep Jameis, is to sign him to a, a more you know, cap-friendly deal, um, something that's much closer to what he made last year than what he would make as a franchise player. I'm Sandra,
1: and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash people today. Mike asks, how has John Lynch been able to build a Super Bowl team in just three seasons when the Bucks have struggled to make the playoffs for the last 12
0: years? Uh. You know, this might be a question that actually came from a Glazer. Because <laughs> uh, they're probably asking themselves that very question. <laughs> they're asking themselves that question every single night. Um, and the the answer is, uh, he's really good. I mean, the answer, look, if you knew John as a player, this should not be a surprise that he's having success as a general manager. Now, they're, they're obviously different jobs. But, uh, you know, John – John's success on the field is sort of what he's demonstrating as as a front office guy and that is that he's incredibly smart he has a lot of football acumen he knows what the best teams that he's played on how uh, wh- wh- you know what what it looks like he knows where you start um, and and for him that was the offensive and defensive lines um, and sort of build away from the ball you know the closest to the ball out and and he has also put together a team that is really a, a fun team to be around. I mean, these guys um, all care about each other. They care about, you know, being good stewards in the community. I mean, John, remember, was coached by Tony Dungy. um, You know, it wasn't always just X's and O's with him. It was about character and football character in particular. The guy's, you know, being selfless and not worried about stats and, and all that sort of thing. And, you know, he's built a culture there. Um, he had some breaks along the way. In that, and, and other people could have done this, but you know, he got he got the quarterback. He got Jimmy Garoppolo uh, for a second rounder, and then unfortunately for him, Garoppolo blew out his ACL. But that put him as the number two draft, you know, team in the draft, and that's how they got Nick Bosa. So he's had some some tough breaks, and he turned them into uh, opportunities, and he's done well with it. And like I said, if you knew John Lynch as a player and how smart he was, Stanford guy, all that stuff. Um, he was a real student of the game. He was rarely out of position, and I think he understood what what a world champion team looks like, wh- how they work together, how selfless they are, and how they have a common goal. and And that's kind of the character of that football team. They're fun to be around, and um, I'm not surprised. I'm sure that the Bucks, though, are asking that very same question as they sit here twelve years without a playoff appearance even longer, two thousand and two without a playoff victory. And and John's not the only GM, by the way, that has won since the Bucks were really successful. Remember Jerry Angelo went to Chicago and went to a Super Bowl with Lovey Smith. Tim Ruskell was a GM of Seattle and went to a Super Bowl against Pittsburgh. They lost um you know, Rich McKay certainly was a a GM with Atlanta and uh they went into an NFC championship game. Um and and a Super Bowl, you know, uh, before he got there. But, you know, so th- there's been a number of GMs that have gotten away that have been successful. And, um, you know, who knows? Maybe Lynch will be the most successful. But I'm not surprised. I-, I just think that the same traits that made him a great player, as cerebral as he was and, and how much he understood football, um, has made him a good GM.
1: David asks us, do you think Jason Light is feeling more pressure after seeing the success John Robinson's having at Tennessee?
0: Well, look if he if Jason Light doesn't feel pressure now, he never will. I mean, um, I think the pressure was on him before he hired BA, and you know the fact of the matter is is that Bruce wanted John, wanted Jason as his GM. Uh, that gave Jason a four more years on his contract plus a club option, which is marries him up with with uh, Bruce. So the pressure was probably on him to find the right head coach. And then last year, you know, things didn't go exactly as they planned, but they did they did win seven games. That's an improvement over the year before. Could have won more uh, if not for some turnovers and some missed kicks. And so I don't think he's feeling a lot of pressure now, no more than you normally do in the NFL. I mean, the NFL, you know, is the old not-for-long league. And, and uh, when you're a GM in particular – that takes a quarterback number one overall, and he doesn't make it. That usually means you don't make it. Um, maybe he'll outlive uh, at least his career in Tampa Bay may outlive Jameis Winston's because I think now, um, even though very few GMs get to draft two quarterbacks, you know that could be the case if the ownership and BA decide to move forward. Um, Jason will still be the GM, and and he and Bruce uh, may may pick the next quarterback. But I think. I think Jason at this point is going to defer a lot to Bruce Allen or to Bruce Arians, and uh, you know he'd be smart to do so. But I don't know that there's, there could be any more pressure when you don't make the playoffs in six years. You know, I mean it's 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 there for everybody.
1: Steve asks: The Bucks have 19 pending free agents outside of the quarterback and defensive line positions. Who do you think the Bucks should focus on re-signing?
0: It's a really good question, except that you know within the question is the answer, and that is almost almost exclusively the free agents they're going to focus on do play on the defensive line or quarterback. So very hard to separate that. I mean, when you have so many defensive linemen that are up this year, you know Jason Pierre-Paul and Damakon Sue and Carl Nassib and Bo Allen. I mean, there's just everybody. Shaquille seems, Barrett, Sha- you know, starting with Shaq Barrett, right everybody except for Vita Vea, it would seem. So, you know, Bruce laid it out one, two, three, four, you know, in some order it's Shaq Barrett. And then you got to deal with Jameis. Right. Um, and then he said, Jason Pierre Paul would be probably right there next. And then, Oh yeah, we don't want to forget Indomitian Sue, And, you know, and so that's sort of how he's laid it out. You know, one, two, three, we want all of them. Um, the guy he would like to have that. I just don't think they're going to be able to afford is Brashard Perriman. And, you know, Perryman didn't do much the first half of the season, but boy, when Mike Evans and those guys got hurt, he had three of the best games, and I think he pro- proved to a lot of people now he's got to stay healthy, right? That's been his big thing. Um, but he he's a solid number two, you know, has the potential to be a number one, and, and just made a ton of big plays, can run all the routes. I just don't think as a number three receiver they can pay him the kind of money he's going to get as a free agent. So, you know, after that, you're looking at depth really you're looking at guys that eh, you'd like to get them back Kevin Minter's a good player to have behind you know Devin White and those guys and Peyton Barber I know they like them but running backs seem to be a dime a dozen I think they're ready to move on from Damar Dotson um, you know Andrew Adams is a guy that started a lot for them and um, you know there's a there's a potential that they may would like to see him come back But then you're looking at, you know, extending people like Chris Godwin and extending Levante David, who's in the final year of his deal, and none of it's guaranteed. So, um, you know, really, it is the defensive line and the quarterback. And after that, it's just whatever you can afford.
1: UK Bucks asks, When do you expect to hear a decision either way on Winston, Barrett, and JPP?
0: Well, I mean, you know, when we'll know is in March. Um, I have to think about when the first date of the first league year is. But, I mean, essentially there's a date where you have to apply the the player, you know, franchise or transition tags. um, And then, you know, at the start of the new league year, if you don't have an agreement with um, your own free agent, he goes out on the market and can talk to other teams. So I I don't think we'll know about those guys. And it's it's possible while – you know, you may hear Adam Schefter, according to many sources, you know, Bucks will probably most likely move on for James Winston. Like, you may hear that, or you may hear that they're going to franchise him. Um, but until they do, until you're into free agency, you know, you're, you're not going to have a definitive anything, you know, unless they call a press conference and say, hey, um, we've reached an agreement with Shaq Barrett, he'll be available at 1230 tomorrow, you know, then then all bets are off. And, and some guys are going to get the free agency. Now, it's possible we've seen this before, and it might be the case with some of these D linemen. Like, you know, back in the day, Doug Martin was a free agent, and the Bucks didn't re-sign him. And he went out on the market and, you know, kind of established what he could make in Oakland and different, you know, Texans and different places. And, um, you know, he more or less shopped it back to the Bucks, and they said, okay, we'll agree to pay you, you know, $6.8 million, whatever it was. And, and, he re, and he came back to the Bucks, even though he was able to talk to other football teams. And, and that might be the case. I, I, wouldn't do it, I wouldn't risk losing Shaq Barrett that way. Um, I don't think Jameis Winston would come back that way. Um, but, you know, the, sometimes that's how you have to decide what your market value is.
1: Ellis asked on a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being abject failure and 10 being an overwhelming success, how would you rate Bruce Arians' first season as the Buccaneers' head coach, and why?
0: You know, this is tough for me. I Remember that they set the expectations, right? And the expectation, or at least we heard from Bruce Arians, was this is not a rebuild, it's a reload. Well, it turned out to be a little more of a rebuild than they expected, especially on the defensive end. And that's okay. I, I just think that there was a whole lot of, bluster in the beginning and he I don't think he truly knew or anticipated that you know he had a quarterback that would go out there and turn it over with 30 interceptions now you know all that said I still think it was a successful season and the reason is it's very hard to dig out at at 2 and 6 really hard to dig out of that hole and these guys made it back to 7 and 7 and I'm here to tell you that's that's a monumental achievement um and and the way they did it was not smoke and mirrors. They all got better and they got better together and they got better on defense and particularly in the back end. And you saw guys how far Sean Murphy, Bunting, and Jamel Dean and some of those guys came this year, uh, and it was legit. I mean, they stopped the run all season long. They did, you know, Jason Pierre-Paul when he came back and got in shape. You know, he wound up with eight and a half sacks in ten games. I mean, Shaq Barrett took off. So um, there were some real successes, especially on defense. But the reason, the reason why they don't get graded higher is because Bruce Arians was brought here to do what? Save Jameis Winston, fix Jameis Winston, and he didn't do it. You know, yeah, he threw for 5,109 yards and, you know, 33 touchdowns, but the interceptions went up, the fumbles were up, and you just can't win football games that way. So uh, they won seven games. I mean, you know, seven out of ten, 70%, that's a C, so I would say it's about a 7. Um, could have been an 8 or even a 9 if they won the last two games. They wouldn't have made the playoffs, but 9 and 7 sounds a lot better than 7 and 9. So I'm going to give it a 7 out of a scale of 10.
1: All right, we'll switch subjects here. And Harrison asks, As a 28-year-old baseball fan, I've witnessed the steroid era and now the sign-stealing scandal. Why should I continue to devote my time and money to a sport whose results have often been so fraudulent?
0: Well, I would tell you it's the best game ever played because <laughs> I'm just a baseball guy. I'm biased. I mean, why? Because it's the best game. Um, look, Major League Baseball's done itself no favors, and and you know the slow pace of play that that, that we've talked about, the declining um, you know interest uh, demographically from from younger people. I mean, all that's real, and you know the steroid era certainly didn't help baseball in the end. It helped them at the time. The owners all thought it was cool and you know look the other way and they were making tons of money because chicks dig the long ball this this sign scaling thing i was asking tom jones who we're going to have on the podcast tomorrow uh and we were we'll about have him this, on friday or friday i'm sorry yeah friday and and we were kind of talking about it and we'll talk to him about it again but um we're trying to put in perspective like some people think this might be the, outside of the black socks right where you had a you know you know Eight guys on, on on the on the Chicago White Sox that literally threw a World Series, which is unimaginable. Um, you know, I mean, this is this is bad in so many ways. You know, like uh, I think there, and I don't know who was quoted saying this, but somebody said like, if you know, he's a pitcher, and he would much rather face the dude all hyped up on steroids than some guy who wasn't taking steroids but knew everything you were going to throw before you threw it like you get a much better chance of getting Mr. Steroid out and you know dealing with his occasional, you know, uh performance enhancing blast versus a guy that can just sit back there and know everything you're throwing. So, from that standpoint, you'd say this is the worst. So, but I but how do you give your how do you give your love to him? I don't know, man. I think you got to love the game and I think you have to hope that better days are ahead. You know, and and you have to hope that this is a good thing that it came out, and that now Major League Baseball will stay on top of these teams. By the way, I don't, I don't agree with this. I've heard people say, "Well, I think everybody cheats." I don't think that's I don't think that's true. I, I don't think the Rays do it. I don't think anybody on the Rays would would attempt to do it. Um, and I think there's probably a lot of teams that would never consider it. I don't know how deep it goes. We'll see if the Red Sox were doing it. We'll see if there's some other teams, but. Um, I I really don't think it's as widespread as as maybe some you know critics of baseball may believe. At least maybe I just want to believe that this isn't like the steroid thing where like everybody was doing it. Well, how do you know who was stealing signs? Everybody was stealing, not this way, not electronically, not with the banging of the cans and the possible buzzers in the uniform. I mean, who knows how they did it? But um, I I really don't think that it's widespread, and so. You know, for that reason, I mean, if it can be contained, if it's Houston, Houston's the one that's going to suffer. Um, but, listen, i it's bad for baseball. I get it if it turns you off. And, and that's that just shows you how much work baseball has to do to regain some of that trust.
1: Jen DeWin asks, With FanFest and spring training around the corner, do you think Charlie Morton will admit or deny the Astros' ways of cheating?
0: We were talking about this, too, today at lunch. I had a great lunch, by the way. Um. And the thing about that is, is he could go one of two ways. I suppose. I mean, if I were advising Charlie and I wanted him to get out of this hot mess, and I didn't want him to be completely honest, or at least you know open the Pandora's box, I would say, "Hey, Charlie, here is what you say." Yeah, you know, I heard about it, and the thing is, um, my job is to go out there and get guys out, and you know you can look at the tape, I can't hit, and and was never up there anyway, so I didn't benefit directly from it, you know, I'm just focused on getting guys out, and, and, you know, my offense goes out there and gets runs, however they do it, they do it, you know, I can't tell you whether it helps them, hurts them, um, who was doing it, I really don't know, because I was over on the bench, you know, looking at the next three hitters I had to face, and going over, you know, some things with my catcher, I really wasn't locked in on that part of the game. I play defense. They play offense. I mean, that's sort of how I would say, hey, Charlie, just kind of dart around the subject and you don't have to say you didn't know about it, but you also don't have to say you participated, you know. Um, But they haven't heard from the Rays yet. They know Charlie has to address it, but whether that's in a giant group setting, you know, or if that's going to be, you know, more of selective, uh, you know, talk to this guy, but not that guy or you know or I'll stand up there the first day and answer you know make a statement as opposed to answering questions It just gets you into more trouble. We don't know how he's gonna handle it. we know he's gonna speak, but we're not sure how he's gonna handle it. I think it's a really good question um you know and and I'm not sure i'm not i guess he'll my guess is just sort of what I've gathered from watching him and his character is he'll be as honest as he can be uh, i I don't think he's gonna tell you that it was you know something he had trouble going to sleep at night about. But if he knew about it, I think he'll say he knew about it. But I also think that he'll quickly, you know, shift the topic to what his job is and what his participation is in this scandal, which is zero, um, and, and just make clear that, you know, uh, I go out there and attack my job the best way I can, and what other people do, you know, is sort of out of my control.
1: Thanks for the invite to lunch, by the way.
0: <laughs> Sorry. You were in Orlando. What do you want me to do? Yeah, that's we true. Were... I, I'm at the Pro
1: Bowl right now, so yeah,
0: I'll be there tomorrow. Don't or don't worry. As we tape this podcast tonight, when you guys, by the time you guys listen to it, I'll either be on the road or I'll be almost there. So yeah, a couple of days coming up at the Pro Bowl. We went to Ford's Garage. They should be a sponsor of this podcast. But um, yeah, me, Tom Jones, and Rodney Page, and you know, it was kind of a good discussion, man. We talked. Like I'm not sure they didn't write a couple of these questions tonight, to be honest with you.
1: Excellent. Well, a couple more thoughts. That's the yeah, for the questions. But did yeah. you see the new um, rule they're experimenting with at the Pro Bowl for onside kicks?
0: I haven't seen it. I'm not. I, you, you, we mentioned it briefly before we went on this podcast. I'm not sure I'm in favor of it. But we go over this again now. It's, if you, you, instead of an onside, this is in lieu of attempting an onside right. kick. Well, right? in the
1: Pro Bowl they don't do kickoffs, so right. they didn't do that last year. They're not going to do it again this year. Just put
0: the ball at the twenty-five. Yeah. But
1: they are going to give you an option to do an onside kick. But instead of an onside kick. You get the ball mm-hmm. at your own 25-yard line. Mm-hmm. It's 4th and 15, essentially. You have one yeah. play to make 15 yards. If you make it, you keep the ball. If you don't, mm-hmm. the other team gets the ball wherever the play stopped. So it's essentially 4th and 15 from your own 25.
0: Yeah, you know, I don't know. I mean, the odds of got – 4th and 15 odds have to be, I'm guessing, less than 5%, right? I mean, I – but I'm think thinking it's,
1: it's probably more than what the onside kick percentage. But
0: probably is now. a greater percentage than onside kicks, particularly so, if you can
1: get a pass interference call.
0: Yeah. So, like, if you're trailing in a game and you have to have the ball back, and 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 you know, you, you take out the onside kick in the game, which is a dangerous play, and um, you know, if if they've got to make fourth and fifteen and they get it, then they still have to drive the ball and get in the field goal or touchdown range. So it's still on your defense to try to get the ball back. It doesn't win the game. That first down doesn't win the game for them. It just allows them to maintain possession. So, I guess I'm not as bad with it. I, I just know there is no play for fourth and fifteen. But okay? there's there's
1: also a bigger punishment for if you don't get it because now they're going to get the uh, ball to thirty-five. 30, right. I right. mean, the other team's almost already in field goal range potentially.
0: Exactly. So I think I think it would be in lieu of an onside kick. In other words, you score and you're still down a score or two, but there's not enough time to have another possession, Mm -hmm. you know, I think, I think that's when you would do it. Right. Um, And then how you play defense off of that, I don't know, but, but even if they pick up the fourth and 15, it certainly gives them a a chance to go down and tie or win the game, but you got still a lot of a lot of real estate to defend, Mm -hmm. um, to keep them from doing so. So I, I kinda, I don't know. I kind of like the rule a little bit. It'll be fun to see in the pro bowl, which you know, if it's close, then um, maybe it'll matter in the fourth quarter for some team to do that. But um, I know they're trying to take out the, the kickoffs and the onside kicks and a lot of those things out of the game just because of the the high risk of injury. I think that's the biggest thing.
1: And did you see the brawl tonight between Kansas and Kansas oh State in college
0: basketball? You pointed that out to me. Um, ugly. Lots of suspensions. <laughs> I mean, that escalated quickly. I mean, you could describe it I mean basically Kansas is going to win this game. they're up by twenty two points as time they block a out. shot you know Kansas actually blocks a shot from Kansas State and they're driven the ball and they're just going to run the clock out and a Kansas State dude steals the ball and he takes it down and he goes up for a layup and it's blocked. And then the guy that blocks it kind of taunts him, kind of stands over him,
1: stands over him, and was absolutely taunting
0: him. Yeah, it was just gross. And then, and then, then I don't know if the guy pushed him through a punch. I don't know who threw the first punch, right? But it got ugly. Those guys were throwing haymakers at each other.
1: Yeah, De threw lots of punches, including grabbing a chair mm. and threatening to hit.
0: With yeah, I mean, what the hell are you thinking, man?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm, you
0: could get arrested. You could get arrested for what he tried to do there.
1: I mean, it, it brings you back to you know the malice at the palace. Um, right. I, I right. remember Cincinnati and Xavier had a nasty fight. I want to say it's ten years. Gancy Gates threw some nasty punches. Uh, and this
0: was scary too because it was under the basket and kind mm-hmm. of started to filter into the band or the crowd or whoever's underneath there.
1: Yeah, though no, absolutely, there was people kind of getting out of the way and yeah, and, uh, it was a know.
0: melee. What we call a Donnybrook. You know, I know. <laughs> I know. Dick
1: Vitale thinks DeSosa should be you know gone for the year for Kansas. Oh,
0: he's got to be uh, gone. You can't do it, baby. You gotta go. Yeah. Yeah, the, sure. the
1: Duke-Miami game he was broadcasting was a blowout, so they were talking lots about Kansas-Kansas State because it was a blowout.
0: Were they? Yeah. I, I know Bill Self. He's not going to stand for that. Yeah. yeah Bill Self, I'm after the game, me.
1: said, I'm sure I'll have uh, punishments to tell you about tomorrow.
0: <laughs> yeah, you will. Well, yeah. When the ACC or the, uh, uh, Big what, the Big 12 looks at it, yeah.
1: Well, my guess is Bill Self will do punishments before then. I mean, you know, but you're not going to do it tonight. You're going to spend some time. You know, figuring gotta out check the, the best way check to do your it. Yeah, check, you yeah. check your sheet, check the sheet, check your
0: sheet. I'm I'm sorry, but this 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 is not it's not normal to pick up a chair. <laughs> OK, like what are you doing? You know, I mean, and plus just the whole look at me stand over a guy when you block a shot kind of thing. It's oh, bad, bad for basketball. Hey, just outstanding questions. Hope you enjoyed all those answers. Take them to the bank. They're 100% correct. Hey, tomorrow, Steve and I will be at the Pro Bowl in Orlando. I'll have a chance to hopefully sit down and talk a little bit with Shaq Barrett, of course, the NFL sack leader in his first Pro Bowl, waiting for a big payday, um, probably from the Bucks, And so that'll be fun to do. And then Tom Jones, my former radio partner of the Tampa Bay Times, of course, now with the Pointer Institute of Media Studies will uh, we'll be with us on Friday. So lots to uh, look forward to there. Hey, folks, you don't have to wait for a mailbag uh, segment to answer your questions. Uh, all you have to do if you have a question about the Bucks, the Rays, the Bolts, uh, you know, USF, anything you got, uh, just go ahead and drop us a line on Twitter at State TV. You can reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud, or my email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. For Steve Burstink, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody.